Well, good morning, Mountain Lake, and welcome to Church Online. Thank you so much for joining us today. Even though we can't meet face-to-face, -face, man, I'm so glad that we at least can do this and be part of church together. So remember, participate with us, talk with us, make sure you're commenting in the chats. Our online hosts are ready to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions you might have. And they're also gonna be putting some links in the comments below. So you can take some next, next steps into joining our Facebook group and giving online. Or if you can't follow those links, remember this, morelifechange.com. Go to our website, click on Dawson on the page, and you'll find all the ways to stay connected with us online throughout the week. Now, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we did something. We, we bought a trampoline for our backyard for our kids. Well, our kids and me, I guess you could say. But we needed to do something to give our kids something to do outside during all of this. So we got them a trampoline, and of course, being the cool dad that I am, went out to show them how to do all the cool jumps and flips. And I, I recognized something, Mountain Lake Church. I recognized that I'm getting older. Now this would be the part of the sermon where you type in the chat, no, Brian, you're not getting older, you're still really young. That would be great to see that right now. <laughs> but I recognize I'm getting older because as I'm showing them how to do these flips, I only do a couple and I start getting dizzy and my world is spinning, I'm getting queasy. So I have to get off the trampoline and, and get my head straight and, and before I start falling over from being so dizzy. Now I don't know about you, but the last month has felt like that. Dizzy, disoriented, everything turning upside down. And that's for every part of our lives, but especially for church. In fact, if you've been part of church for a while, then this has been super strange for you. I bet last Sunday was the first Easter that you have not been inside a church building. If you're, if you're new to church or newer to church, then you're probably trying to figure out, well, what am I supposed to be doing? If I don't have a church to go to, what else am I supposed to do other than watching this on Sunday mornings? See, we're trying to figure out what to do in the midst of having our world turned upside down. And when we are disoriented, when we're used to doing something the same way for so long and that gets changed, we get disoriented. And when we get disoriented, it is important, it is crucial that we focus on one specific and intentional thing. When I was doing flips on the trampoline with my kids and got all dizzy and queasy, I got off the trampoline and I had to stop and stare at one part of the ground until my head stopped spinning. As a church, we need to do the exact same thing. We need to pause long enough to stop and look and focus, maybe even refocus on what's important. So that's what we're gonna do for the next several weeks. We are gonna focus specifically and intentionally on the very first church, the early church, and how they interacted with each other and, and what they did and, and how it all began and how it started. Because we've said the phrase, I've said it, I'm sure you've at least heard the phrase, a church is not a building. We know that, but we have been forced to live that out right now. So here's why this is important for me. Here's my heart behind this, is because my concern is that when this pandemic is over, we're just gonna go back to doing church the way we've always done church. Now, don't get me wrong. Church, I am excited and I am so ready to meet face to face and to gather personally together again. I am so ready to open up our building and have everybody back on campus once again. But I don't want us to miss what we've had to do over the last several weeks. I don't want us to forget what we have had to do. Because we don't have a church to go to, we have been forced right now to be the church. And that should have always been the case, but now we have to because there's no other choice. Mountain Lake, I don't want us to miss or forget what we have had to do and what we have learned 
through this pandemic, that we are the church. And I don't want us to miss what it's been like to be the church. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for church. Not necessarily the place to go for church, the gathering times for church, but the people that make up church. And Jesus, as we, as we look at how you intended the church to be, how you started it, how it began, and what it was really based on, help us to pay attention to maybe some areas we need to reorient ourselves. In this season of our lives, in this season as a church, may we refocus on who we were intended to be as a church. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. So we're going to be in the book of Acts today. If you've got your Bible, head over to Acts chapter 1. Because Acts is really the story of the local church. It's the beginning of the church and how it started in the stories of the church. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, teach us all about Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Then in Acts chapter 1, this is after Jesus' resurrection, we get the story of how the church actually began. So Acts chapter 1, if you want to look at it with me, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples. He says, But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he says that, he ascends into heaven. So the disciples are now there hearing these words from Jesus. The mission that Jesus has given them, basically to go and tell, to be the church, to continue Jesus' ministry. And then he goes up to heaven. That's Acts 1. Acts chapter 2 is when the church actually begins. You might have heard the word Pentecost or the phrase day of Pentecost. Basically, Pentecost, the word literally means 50 because it was a celebration, a holiday. Old Testament refers to it as the Feast of Weeks. It was a celebration that took place 50 days after the Passover. So all the Jews would gather together to remember and to celebrate God and his provision, how he provided for them in a time of need. That was the scene of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, verse 5, we see that scene of this huge celebration. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. It was crammed, it was packed, people were coming from all over to be part of Pentecost or Feast of Weeks. You probably recognize where I'm at this morning. I'm at the fairgrounds. And if you're like me, you've taken your family here a number of times. Anytime the fair is in town, we bring our kids out. So this probably brings back a lot of memories, doesn't it? Remember the, the games and the rides, the shows, the fair foods. Oh, the fair foods. Why don't you tell us your favorite fair food right now? Type it in there, funnel cake, corn dog. What's your favorite fair food? Give me some good discussion. Let me know what your favorite fair food is. Good food, overpriced food, but still good food. You remember all these parts of the fair, but also the crowds, don't you? Remember what it's like walking down these streets and, and people jammed, packed in, and vendors and booths, and it's, it's hard to navigate and walk through because there's so many people around. That's what Jerusalem was like in Acts chapter 2. And something happened. Just like Jesus had promised, the apostles received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, in the midst of this massive crowd that we're so familiar with seeing at a place like this, Peter stands up, verse 14 in Acts chapter 2. Listen to this. Then Peter stood up, keywords there, stood up. We're going to come back to it. Then Peter stood up with the, with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. 
He begins to explain something, but as you're going to hear, it sounds a whole lot more like preaching than it does explaining. Here's what he says to the people listening, this massive crowd. People of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. See, they already knew this. He's saying the Jesus that you're aware of, the Jesus that you know of, that's who he's talking about. This wasn't new news yet. He said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and for knowledge, and you, with the help of wicked man, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? Because <laughs> he starts saying, you know the Jesus that you know of? Well, you're the one that nailed him to the cross. You're the one that crucified him. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In other words, he looks at this massive crowd that have gathered together to celebrate the provision of God. And he says, you know that man that you crucified, that you killed? He is alive. He goes on, verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured, be certain of, we know without a doubt, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, King, ruler, but also your Savior. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And the church began. They believed, not, not in Peter, they believed in the message Peter gave them. They believed in the gospel, the great news that Jesus is alive, that he died for our sins and three days later came back from the dead. That true life, real life, eternal life is only found in Jesus. They believed that with all of their heart. And they repented. They changed. They were baptized. And here we're told in verse 41 that those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's how the first church started. That's where it all began. And as we read through that, there are two words that come to mind. That really, in my mind define and describe the beginning of the very first church. And those words have nothing to do with service times or a worship song, has nothing to do with a location or a building, has nothing to do with a really cool and creative sermon illustration. Those two words that define and describe the beginning of the church, conviction and confidence. The first church started with confidence and conviction because Peter had confidence and conviction. Go back and let's look at those for a second. Let's see where we see confidence and conviction. Verse 14, remember the two words, stood up. Then Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd and began to tell the message and story of Jesus' death and resurrection. That took confidence. Confidence as in boldness, believing without a doubt that what he believes is true. See, confidence is is a look into how we live our lives. It speaks to our actions, right? It's, it's confidence in living like Christ, becoming more like Jesus. It's confidence in who we are and what we're called to do. It's confidence in being like Jesus. So confidence in forgiving, confidence in giving, serving, leading, loving others. All the things that Jesus did, confidence in living like him. But that confidence had to come from somewhere. You don't just have confidence. You have to tap into something to then gain confidence. For Peter in the early church, that was their conviction. 
Our confidence comes from conviction. Our actions come from our beliefs. We see that. Verse 36, therefore, Peter says, let all Israel be assured of this, be certain of this, be fully convinced of this, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Messiah. He is not dead. He is alive. And our sins are forgiven because of him. We have been given grace. We've been given mercy and the gift and hope of eternal life. That's his conviction, that inner conviction that he is convinced beyond anything that this is true. And out of his conviction came confidence. Now notice this, this is important. Peter's conviction led to his confidence to stand up amongst this massive crowd and share his heart. But from sharing his heart, the hearts of other people began to change as well. So what started out as Peter's conviction, which led to Peter's confidence, turned into the conviction of others. We see that here. It says, when people heard this, they were cut to the heart. So as Peter shared his heart and shared his beliefs, what he was convinced of, his conviction, we see that take place in the lives of others as well. Now their hearts are beginning to change and they are being convinced and they are now receiving that inner conviction that Peter had as well. Acts chapter 2, we see Peter as a man of, of great confidence and strong conviction. But prior to Acts 2, we don't necessarily see that in Peter. We don't see the same confidence and conviction earlier on in his life that we do now in Acts chapter 2. If you know any of the stories of Peter, there's probably two main stories that come to mind. The first one would be Peter walking on water. If you know the story, they're out in a boat on the lake and Jesus comes out to them walking on water. Then Jesus calls Peter, step out of the boat. And he does, he steps out of the boat in confidence, but as soon as he sees the wind and the waves, Peter becomes afraid. And when he becomes afraid, he begins to sink. See, that story is not a confident and convicted Peter. It is a Peter that is struggling with fear and failure. The other story you're probably familiar with, with Peter, is after Jesus is arrested, Peter is standing around a fire pit. And people start to recognize Peter and begin to ask him, question him, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? Don't you know him? Weren't you with him? And this formerly confident Peter, quickly out of fear, says, no, no, I don't know Jesus. I've never been with him before. You've got the wrong person. Because he was afraid. And he failed again and again and again. So in Acts, we see a confident and convicted Peter, but earlier on, he was a man that struggled with fear and failure. But that fear and failure didn't keep him from this moment to change. See, he grew through that. He came out of the difficulties. He moved from fear and failure to confident and convicted. And church, that's where we come into play here. I hope, I hope we can say the same that out of every difficulty, every struggle, all the fears and failure, failures that you and I walk through, that we would grow through that to become more confident because we would have a stronger conviction. Oh, that's my desire for you and I, for us as a church to be more confident because we have a stronger conviction. This pandemic that we are currently in, this pandemic no doubt has shaken us to the core. But here's the good news. That gives us a great opportunity to look at the core. When we are shaken to the core, we get to see what's really there, what our core really is, and it causes us to, to rethink, to refocus, to reorient, 
to prioritize what's most important, what is in my core, and we need to answer that personally, but also as a church. So I have two core questions that I want us to answer. This is important because how we answer these two questions, that's gonna show us the type of church that we will be moving forward. Don't miss this. Church, you and me, how we answer these two questions will show us the type of church that we will be. So here are the two questions. The first core question is, are you convinced? Do you have that inner conviction like Peter did when he stood up and spoke his heart that without a doubt, I'm fully convinced that Jesus Christ is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. That real life, true life only comes through him. Eternal life is only found and given through him. Are you fully convinced of that? Or have you been convinced that many of us have been that meaning and purpose in life comes from someone or somewhere else? that we can be easily convinced that life comes from the money we make or the reputation that we build, the status that we have or the achievements that we, that we hang on to. Are you convinced? Because I don't know about you, but over the last several weeks, a lot of those things have started to crumble, haven't they? Be convinced, be convicted in, the, in your heart of hearts that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Paul was fully convinced. Romans chapter 8, I love how he describes his inner conviction. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 38, he writes this, For I am convinced, what a great way to start, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, including a pandemic, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that your inner conviction? Are you fully convinced of that? If so, hold on to it. Because out of our conviction comes our confidence. Core question number one, are you convinced? Core question number two, are you confident? If we have that conviction, if we're fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, then our confidence should show. Do your choices and decisions reflect your conviction? In other words, do your actions match your heart? Are you confident? Because putting our confidence in anyone or anything other than Jesus, I promise you, will lead to disappointment. But when our confidence is put in Him, oh, it's a different story. Jeremiah gives us a great picture, a great illustration of what it looks like when our confidence is in Him. Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Listen to how our confidence is portrayed. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Here's what it looks like. Verse 8. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I love that. What does it look like to put your confidence in Him and only in Him? Well, it looks like this, because our roots go deep. That's the conviction. Our roots go deep into our heart and and takes hold of that conviction of what we truly believe. And because of that, we can be confident. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstances, no matter what we walk through, no matter the difficulties, no matter the fears, no matter the failures, we can be confident. Because our confidence is not in ourselves. Please hear this. 
Our confidence is not in ourselves and our capabilities and our abilities. Our confidence is in the one we follow, Jesus. I'm going to write something down. You're going to have to bear with me here for a second. If you'll wait for me to write down a sentence, I'm going to tell you what I write. And then I want you to do the same maybe at some point today or later on this week. And I'll tell you how this is going to tie together. Here's what I wrote. I am confident that, with a fill in the blank, because I am convinced of who Jesus is in my life. Let me say that again. I am confident that, fill in the blank, because I am convinced of who Jesus is in my life. I've been wrestling with this this sentence personally in a good way. I think we all need to wrestle through this. How would you fill in the blank? What are you confident in? What are you confident with because of your conviction? Because you are fully convinced without a doubt that Jesus is who he says he is and he is in your life. So some of the things that I wrote down that might apply for you or for me, I'm confident that I will be okay because I am convinced of who Jesus is in my life. I am confident that my marriage can be healthy because I'm convinced of who Jesus is in my life. I'm confident that I can be a good parent. I'm confident that life has meaning and purpose. I'm confident that I can forgive and be forgiven. I'm confident that I am valuable and worthy. I am confident that I am a child of God. I am confident that I will never be alone. I am confident that good can come from even this, all because I am convinced of who Jesus is in my life. What would you write down? In fact, I would tell you to do that. Write down this sentence at some time today or this week and begin to just make a list. What are you confident in? What are you confident with? Because of the conviction that you have. Because you are fully convinced of who Jesus is in your life. The church was not built with buildings. The church was built with people who built their lives on Jesus with confidence and conviction. And Mountain Lake Church, I hope we can say the same, that we will be people full of confidence because of a strong conviction, which will make us a church of confidence and conviction. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for church not the buildings and not the location, not the spaces, not the meeting times, but thank you for people that make up the church. And Jesus, I would ask that you would, that you would continue to draw us closer to the church you intend us to be. And when we have that great opportunity to step back foot, step our feet back on a campus and see each other face to face, Jesus, I pray that we don't forget that we have had to be the church since we haven't had a church to physically go to. Oh, may we not lose that lesson of what we've had to be during this struggle and this crisis. And may that continue. May we continue to be the church full of confidence and conviction because we are convinced without a doubt of who you are in our lives, which gives us the confidence to live like you. So help us to be the church you call us to be. Help us to be full of confidence and conviction. The areas in our lives where we need to grow in confidence and grow in conviction, 
the areas that we still struggle with fear and failure. I pray that your Holy Spirit does an incredible work in our lives, just like you did with Peter, that we could go grow through our fears and grow through our failures to grow in more confidence and have a stronger conviction because you are exactly who you say you are. In Jesus' name, amen.